This is TDPS. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Are you sick of doing promos for my new books yet? That depends. Are we at the beach? Yes, we're at Sapphire Cove, the fictional Southern California resort featured in my new gay romance series coming in 2022. This is alarming. When did we go outside? You were transported by the powerful prose of C. Travis Rice. That's my new pen name devoted to steamy and emotional tales of romance between men. Yeah, no, that's not it. I was about to eat a sandwich in the studio, and now I'm being harassed by seagulls. Brandon, get rid of the seagulls, please. Oh, that's much better. Now I have to pee. First, pre-order your copy of Sapphire Sunset, the first installment in the Sapphire Cove series, which goes on sale March 1st, 2022, from Blue Box Press, when a new member of the resort security department falls hard for the nephew of the wealthy family that owns the place, sparks fly, and sexy scandal ensues at Sapphire Cove. Uh, Yeah, could you pre-order that for me? I'm going to run to the little podcaster's room. Brandon! Come get this seagull! I can't help it if my writing sets the scene. I know what I'm going to set if someone doesn't come get this seagull. Where'd you get that sandwich? Sapphire Sunset, the first book in the Sapphire Cove series from C. Travis Rice. Now available for pre-order. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. And I'm just going to say this now. I'm going to say this up front. And then you're never going to say it again. Never going to say it again. That's such a lie. I I don't even know what it's going to be, and I know that's a lie. This was almost our second train wreck episode. Oh, yeah, I hope that that is the last time you say that. Yes. And if you don't know what we're talking about, allow me to explain. I wish we had queued up the audio from the old episode it I'm was talking about. Really, I was. It was very funny. It was a very funny because it happened live in process. We did not figure it out until we were already halfway, a third of the way into the show, and we did not ditch it and start over, which would have been what some podcasters would have done. But we, we are very those, real here we at let TDPS. Those two trains just grind into each other and drive each yeah. other to smithereens. It was a complete train wreck. It okay, was... so let me tell the story. Okay. This is what it was. Okay. A few months ago, we were doing an episode of a, a true crime TV club about a series called Dead of Winter. And I always prepare sort of very extensive notes, and we converse about the episode, and then we give you our opinions about what was really in the episode that we didn't see. This, it took about <laughs> took about three or four minutes before Eric and I, or it was Eric, I think we realized it first, 
he had watched a completely different episode of the same show. Of the same show. But if you go back, it's like you can for a minute there, we're like you're saying things about the show, like, yeah, that kitchen looks so they had all Canadian products in that kitchen. And I'm thinking, hmm, I don't remember a kitchen, but I'm just gonna keep reading from my notes. <laughs> and so that was um and then you're you of course were had what they say as and then no Lorraine, chill about and then, the then Lorraine came yeah, in and it yeah. was like Lorraine Lorraine his mother Lorraine and I was like and I, it was just it was I have no idea what we said but so, there was some moment of realization where I just fucking lost it because I realized that I had watched the wrong episode and we researched it and yes indeed I had watched the wrong episode and you all pretty well took me to task for it. Really the number funny. one comment was you had one job <laughs> and I was like I wish I had one job <laughs> but yes. yeah it really was they were they weren't far from wrong it was like yeah yeah i wish there yeah that was really that was so like, this yeah. is what happened this time someone whose name uh rhymes with mr lice he woke <laughs> up on thursday morning this week at early earlier oh, than eric wakes up way early i like to wake up sometimes with the sun uh and i thought well i'm gonna get that episode watched gonna knock this out I should really, I remember it's a true crime show about Playboy. We agreed to watch it. I can't remember. It ties in with the Toxic Love Month here at TDPS. See, finally I said it right for you. I didn't get any acknowledgement. Are I didn't even get an eyebrow. happy? Uh, okay. So I thought I should text Eric before I dive in. Because annotating the episode is no small process. Yeah. My notes are pretty authoritative, if you will. Um, and I thought, no, just d don't, don't wait. <laughs> Don't wait. Why wait for him? Why wait the extra 10 minutes for him to reply to no, this No, it tweet, was waiting text. for you to wake up. I was doing this at 7 in the morning, and you uh, were not going to be awake until, what, 11 a.m., 12 oh, noon? Yeah, that's, whenever that's the, it, yes. Whenever the gin wears off, whenever finally. Whenever the pee under my mattress finally drives me to <laughs> distraction. Yes, that's it. So, excuse me, I didn't time my tea there. Apparently not. Right. I was like, fuck it. I just went right ahead. So I watched an episode of The Playboy Legacy, which was very compelling and interesting. And I was like, where is the crime? I was like, I think it's called like The Mysteries of Playboy. The Secrets of like Playboy. Secrets. The episode is called, I think, The Playboy Legacy. And to be fair to Christopher, and I don't really want to be, but to be <laughs> fair to Christopher, I had actually talked about watching an episode of. The Secrets of Playboy and the first episode and thinking, huh, it was actually an A&E series, yes. but it's now on Discovery Plus, so all the episodes are up. So yeah, I, thought, I don't know if it, it, yeah, is it? I found it on Peacock. That's where I watched it. Oh, maybe it, it was on I Peacock. I don't know if it's on Discovery I Plus. I don't know. Maybe it is on Peacock. I can't yeah. remember. But now it's posted on one of the streamers. And so I'd started watching it and I thought, huh, this mm -hmm. is not half bad. I'm, I'm interested. It's a really interesting sort of take on maybe... Playboy didn't start out with the worst of intentions, but it started out with some bad ideas that were left over from an earlier era and right. they metastasized into something that became kind right. of pretty toxic over mm -hmm. time. Anyway, different discussion, different show. Right. And so, but I watched but then it. I brought up this, this and new I, show that is just premiering. This one is on Discover, for yes. sure, called The Playboy Murders. And I kind of, and so they both got they overlapped in Christopher's brain. Well, and so I watched 
Secrets of Playboy. I watched the other, and I annotated. I had it all done. By 9 a.m., I was done. All the while thinking, well, there's really no murder or crime here. Yeah. I don't know what this is about. Why did he suggest this? At the very end of it, they and tease. it's the first of a 12-part series. They tease four upcoming murders, one of which I'm pretty familiar with, which is the Dorothy Stratton right. murder, which a lot of people know about. And I was like, okay, well, maybe that's what he was talking about. So finally, I texted you, and I was like, so, Eric, like the thing we were supposed to watch was like, what? Like, Secrets of Playboy? And I was like, no, <laughs> it was which is actually what today's episode is going to be about. The Playboy Murders, Episode 1, Season 1, Bunny Meets Bachelor. It's the premiere episode. It's the premiere episode. It's on Discovery+. Plus. Uh, it's also, I think, available probably, as you always say, on Discovery ID with commercials. Right. And so I had to set aside the extra time out of my busy, busy, busy day to annotate a second episode, but I'm now a Playboy expert, apparently, because I have looked at, no, actually. Two whole, almost an hour and a half of programming devoted entirely to Playboy. Christopher used to watch the Playboy channel when he was a little boy. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It was His on the cable. His parents let him watch the Playboy channel. It was channel. Northern California. There was no censorship. It was, yeah, it was a liberal, progressive environment. They you did see not, how that turned out. They did not want sex to be defined by shame and, you know, whatever. And the Playboy channel was not hardcore. No. Like, it was not. I don't not, think it is now. I don't, does it still hardcore. exist? I don't know. That's a good question. I think I don't it even got know if it still does, taken over by Playboy. It was pretty tame. The Playboy channel would take porn films and then have the softcore version of them. So, you know, like the parts you don't like. <laughs> right. Like, oh, because it's the dialogue right. I tuned in for. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, totally. Worst ever. Anyway. So, anyway, this episode of the Playboy murders is really, uh, it's not about the history of Playboy per se. It's really more about one aspect of. Well, as we get into it, it is about one this is side about of murders the business. That are, yeah, <laughs> that are somehow connected to the Playboy legacy company magazine house. So, is Holly Madison the host, or we should we expect to see her back on future Holly episodes? Holly Madison is the host okay. of Playboy Murders. Now, if you don't know who Holly Madison is, Holly Madison is like the first Playboy playmate centerfold main girlfriend of Hugh Hefner who told the truth publicly about what it's like to be the main girlfriend of Hugh Hefner. She and was on that reality show that yes. they did, The Girls Next Door or something yes. like that. Mm-hmm. And then about she, the, his, he would have like three or four wives, quote unquote, yeah. all at the same time. And she was number one wife for a long time. And then. And then they had a falling out and she spoke out publicly about it. And everyone's like, oh, you just don't do that, Ali. You don't say that Hugh Hefner can't get her heart on in his 90s. It's just not done. And. That was like kind of the beginning of the Me Too movement when she was like, yeah, I'm yeah. actually allowed to talk about I can my talk experience. about whatever I fucking yeah. want to. I'm a grown-ass woman, and this right. was my marriage, and I'll talk about what I like. Thank you very much. So she, um, <clears throat> throughout this special, she's, I think, what we would call a seated host, you know, like a consult, an expert. She says some insightful things that I thought were pretty smart about the experience of, of what she observes in the case that we're about to talk about, but also what she sort of went through as a playmate. Right. And then there's kind of a little bit of awkward trying to scrape a relationship to the actual story itself because yeah. there was it was a big company and there were a lot of people working for it. So she's not obviously going to know everyone, but she'll, you know, be connected in some broader way. And I was like, yeah, you can let that go. Yeah, I don't need you go. to have known everybody who was yeah. murdered. Like, that would be kind of horrific, and I wouldn't wish that Well, you, and, and also part of it is, like, Holly Madison was kind of in in terms of the social hierarchy of these women and the Playboy 
empire. She was pretty high up. Oh yeah. And the story she was that we're going to the story that we're going to talk about is people who were kind of lower down on that particular totem pole. It would seem like this is really about people who were involved with Playboy Golf, which was an, a traveling golf tournament that kind of brought Playboy playmates and, and on a Playboy touring circuit. Cyber or something. What yes. was it called? Cyber. And... You could be a Playboy centerfold or a Cyber Girl, and the Cyber Girl was, was heavily it. main featured, but it was on their their website. And so, and also, we're talking about early two thousands. This whole story. So, Hugh Hefner is still alive and in power, but there have since been attempts by you would Playboy think we were explaining trigonometry. But there were there have <laughs> since been well, it's stuff I don't want to talk about once we get into the story because right. I want to get it out of the way. There have since been attempts by Hugh Hefner. Well, I'm sorry, Playboy as it exists now to distance itself even from Hugh Hefner. The Secrets of Playboy episode, there is a statement from them at the end after the yes. sort of scandalous revelations in that, you know, Hugh Hefner wasn't perfect. Something like that. Weird. this doesn't represent yeah. what Playboy is today. Exactly. Like, okay, sure, but there wouldn't be Playboy today if there wasn't Hugh Hefner, so tough darts. Absolutely. All right, August 15th, 2009, Buena Park, California. Uh, we are immediately, we should start timing how long on these specials it takes before a police detective shows up. Because this was like, ooh, right away, like, right uh, in the beginning. Oh, well, there are the police. Hi, how are you? Greg Pelton. How fast was I driving? Greg Pelton and Sergio Lepe, both from the Buena Park PD, start to tell us that. And one of them had the cutest little voice thing. Like, he couldn't uh -huh. say his R's. Mm -hmm. I can't remember which one it was. Was it Sergio? I think it was Sergio? Greg Pelton. Yeah. It was Greg. Yeah. Just, it was so adorable. He couldn't say his R's. And so it made, like, everything was like. Pillow talk, even though he was talking about these kind of horrific murder details, mm. it was really, I thought it was adorable. Lovely. Well, so, <laughs> and so a body's found in a dumpster. <laughs> right. So imagine somebody telling you about right, bodies yeah. found in a dumpster. It, it was, gave it a childlike innocence, yeah. yes. Um, the cops show up. I think it was you know, a familiar story for us, having talked a lot about the Billy Newton case. A body found in a dumpster. There's a suitcase. It's clearly got something gnarly inside. A transient discovers it. They initially think it's a child's body, and then they realize it's a very small woman's body. Right. Uh, her face is not visible, but they can see that her fingers are all missing. And so when they discover that detail, they suspect her teeth will be missing, too, because clearly somebody has tried to de-identify the body, make it harder to get a positive Right, they've teeth destroyed her face, they've broken out all of her teeth, and they've cut off her fingers. So they take her to the Orange County Coroner's office. Uh, her face has been too badly beaten for a positive ID even after they get her out of the dumpster. But a sketch artist comes in, and they share the sketch. And I did not think the sketch... We're about to. We're going to find out who she is, but the sketch didn't really look at all like a her. Bit, I thought, but in a generic sort of way. However, there was one item they forgot to remove. I just love this part of the story. And this is an item that was on her body that had unique serial numbers, and it was her breast implants. And that's how they discover that her name was Jasmine Fiore, and she was a Playboy model. So yep. the world of Playboy opens up immediately in the special. Love that. Holly Madison is being interviewed. All of a sudden, we meet A.J. Pathak, the former CEO of Playboy Golf. Uh, there's another Playboy model, Stacey Burke, who's interviewed. Like, they set up all their talking heads to get ready to take us through the story. So in the hierarchy of 
the Playboy, the women of Playboy, if you will, Jasmine was one of the ones who went to Hefner's Fun in the Sun parties. And what he would do was he would look over Polaroids of beautiful young women to see if they would make the cut. And these parties, I, I guess, were happening at the Playboy Mansion in Holmby Hills. I guess. I was a little, yeah. I was like, oh, well, that's really pretty base, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of the, um, the, the fashion designer. The, um, oh God! The story we did down in the Bahamas. Where he would rate the women. Yes. Oh can't God! Remember his name? Nygard. 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 Yes. That story just blew my mind. It reminded me. I was. It was the most cold-hearted I've ever seen Hefner portrayed. It yeah. was like that he would go through Polaroids and go, "Oh yeah, she's hot enough to be in the pool, and she's not." Like, yeah. Ew. Well, because the impression around the parties was that it was always a come on, come all atmosphere. Right. And it's like, Everybody's just kind of all loving each other. And, and what's emerged is and, it was, you know, powerful, wealthy men and beautiful young women and not a lot of in between. Very superficial sort of yeah. standard of who was, who, what women were even allowed to be there and no standards at all, apparently, about what men would be attending. I, right. So it's a, the mid-2000s when this is going on, and the Playboy golf tournaments have become a very big deal. And at every hole of the tournament, there would be a booth where a Playboy girl was handing out shots. Uh, and that became Jasmine's kind of groove inside the empire. That was how she worked for the business. She was brought up in a small town outside of Santa Cruz, California. We end up in this part of California a lot on True Crime TV Club. People are strange. Yes. When you're a stranger. <laughs> right? Right? Santa Cruz is where the Lost Boys was filmed. Absolutely. Uh, they call it I always Santa think of that song when I hear Santa Cruz mentioned. She is born a tomboy, but she goes on to basically become an actress, that, well, to become a model. And by the 2006, she's so successful, she's dividing her time between Vegas and Los Angeles. Her goal is to be a centerfold, but that's a long shot for anyone, as they explain. There are only 12 a year, and there are an enormously high number of women who try out. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. I think one of the things that was interesting about the story was finding this woman was very ambitious. This was not some dumb blonde. She was hardworking. She was very motivated. And she saw a system in which, she, like it or not, she saw that she could succeed here. She had mm-hmm. what it took to succeed in this admittedly very superficial environment, but she still had it. And she was yeah. willing to work and do the things that she needed to do. And she was enjoying it. She loved her job. She loved working for Playboy. And she was ambitiously pursuing goals for her own career advancement. And she was doing really well. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with full-on sex work, which is not what she was doing. The problem, and I think this is part of the whole Me Too conversation, is when someone makes the entrance requirement to a job that has nothing to do with sex or your looks about sex and your looks. Yes. You know? 
I had an experience where I w we were potentially hiring on a project and I was looking for recommendations and a pretty well-placed person in the entertainment industry recommended someone for a writing position on the basis of the fact that they were hot. And I had to pause and ask them, are you saying hot in the industry? And the person said, no, they're just hot. And I said, oh, well, I'll look for them on Grinder then, but we're actually looking to interview writers. Like, I could not believe what was being said. This is somebody who does a lot of hiring. I thought, oh, my God. I was really sad. So all that's fine. The problem is when someone goes in for, you know, a secretarial job and they, they no, you don't look like Jasmine, so we're not hiring you. You're not considered qualified. One of my favorite Hollywood stories was the producer who, when he broke up with his girlfriend, would put out the kind his type right. on the breakdowns which is the way in which actresses are called in to mm -hmm. audition for parts we're looking for this type so he would say they were and then he would bring women in and interview them and then date them yes i was like wow that is such a hollywood story there wow. there is a there is a horror movie i believe it's a japanese horror movie it might be korean where the premise is the man does that to the wrong woman yeah and that's all i'm well that's talk what about. we all hope for yeah <laughs> But anyway. <laughs> but you got to mean what you mean, but Jesus Christ, that's so cold-blooded. So uh, we're back to the discovery of her body. Like many of these specials, it goes back and forth in a way that I don't know. Yeah, it was very, it was a little Billy. Yeah, right. Found her in a dumpster. I was really, that put me off. Billy Newton is, of course, yes. our, um, the, 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 the unsolved murder in West Hollywood that Christopher yep. and I have focused many times on. Many times on. You can find the episodes in our archive, the William Arnold Newton episodes. They're all numbered in sequence with each other. Okay, so she has been reported missing, as Billy was reported missing. Uh, she is married to a man named Ryan Jenkins. He is apparently the one who has reported her missing. Um, the cops who found her body can't get in touch with Ryan, so they call on the missing persons detective in L.A. who took the report. They get in touch with Ryan, and Ryan says, oh, okay, that's terrible. I have to leave and go to Canada because I'm having visa issues. And they're like, whoa, wait a minute. You reported this woman missing. We found her in a dumpster, badly murdered and dismembered, and you're you going to Canada? Now, you like... got to run? Very suspicious. At least. So they look into Ryan and they find out he was recently on a reality television show called oh Megan Once a Millionaire. This just and this is where Cybergirl comes into play. Like this is just this was the part of the story that I just I you know like in a really sick twisted way loved the best. The whole deep dive into the reality show portion right. of this story was like oh my god. So Megan Hauserman was the Playboy Cyber Girl who was the centerpiece of this reality show. And on the show, as you have probably guessed already, uh, Ryan was among several male contestants who were vying for her hand in marriage. And they were all supposed to be millionaires. Allegedly. Because in 2007, a millionaire was still considered rich. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Afraid so. Uh, it might have actually been in 2005. Or she was discovered by Playboy in 2005 and made a Cyber Girl. Um, so Ryan, and she had to just to exclude, extend her story a little bit. She had kind of gotten 
her fill of as far she felt like she'd gone as far as she could go right with Playboy and so this this reality show was the beginning of her trying to go out on her own and trying ha, trying to have reality based but still more of a career than she felt like she was having or going to have potentially at Playboy because it really sounded like the only big perk of being a cyber girl is that you're on the permanent list for the mansion parties which yeah. is what everybody was about. Meanwhile, Ryan Jenkins, he came from Calgary, which is a big, rich oil town in Canada, and he says he's worth $2.5 million, which turns out to be bogus. It was his father who was actually the millionaire, not Ryan. But during the production of the show, Megan kind of falls for him. And she says to the producers, I want to pick him, and the producers basically say, yeah, no, that's not who we've picked for you. (laughs) And she's, like, telling you this, like, it's the whole, it was like, Wow, that really okay. Wow, and she was like, "Yeah," for reasons that you know they had their own reasons about what they who they wanted me to wind up with, and so, yeah, she's put in the position of sending him home. She has a microphone in her ear during the elimination uh, round, and she is being fed the lines that she is supposed to give Ryan to explain why he's being sent away. And Ryan, meanwhile, thinks this is a lock because they've got some sort of genuine connection. Writing love letters to each other and planning to hook up as soon as the show is over and whatever. And yeah. So when he's cut, he gets back to his hotel. He calls Megan something like a dozen times, but she can't talk to him because she's still with the producers. So two days later, he calls her back and says, Oh, don't worry. I've met the love of my life and we're married. And the love of his life is Jasmine Fiore. They met in a Vegas nightclub. He asked for her number. She put it in her phone along with her birthday. They have the same birthday. And he took that as a sign she was the one. Or he said he took that as a sign. Either way. (laughs) Whatever they did later. That was the whole premise for their marriage. Whatever they did later that night, he thought that was the sign she was the one. Uh, That would be my guess. Because he seems to be motivated by some pretty basic things, that Ryan Jenkins. He seemed basic, yes. I think that's a good description. But Jasmine realizes right away he doesn't have any money. He claims he can't get his money into the country from Canada, and in the meantime he needs her money. Which really doesn't sit Which well with her. Which isn't going to happen with Jasmine. She was smarter than that. So on by April of 2009, this is two weeks after their instant wedding, Ryan is messaging Megan again to tell her it's not working with Jasmine and he made a terrible mistake. All right, and then we come back to the investigation. There was DNA present on her body, a rape kit found semen, and, oh, guess what? She'd been married before. Oh, dear. And it's her other husband's DNA. And four days before her body was found, she went down to San Diego to greet her ex-husband, Michael Cardozi, after he was released from prison for drug trafficking. But Which is why she divorced him, because going to prison really just harshes a good marriage. Damper on the marriage. But he has a really solid alibi. He had an ankle monitor on tracking his movement during the murder, so he couldn't have done it. So he's eliminated. The ex-con is eliminated immediately. Meanwhile, Ryan has a prior domestic violence conviction in Canada and was sentenced to 15 months probation and a sex addiction therapy program. I was like, how did the sex addiction therapy program come out of the domestic violence conviction? Like, do I even want to know the answer to that question? I assume that it was some aspect of the nature of their marriage. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I don't... It's sex addiction, so I, there are many ways for it to manifest, but one of the obvious ones is cheating on your wife a bunch. So I yeah. could see how that might have factored into... Marriage counseling. Allegedly, the company that was doing the background checks for the reality show, Megan Wants a Millionaire, 
missed it. Whoops. Yeah. The story is that he managed to have his arrest expunged, but that story is never elaborated and it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah. Meanwhile, we flash back to Jasmine I, is alive. And yes. I would just say since it's Megan wants a millionaire, I would have done a little background check into his finances as well. Yes. Like, I think it's really obvious if you're a millionaire, you're not. Like, either you yeah. have a million dollars in the bank or more than that, or you don't. Right. And uh, they seem to have missed that, too. I, I don't think there were any background I checks think that, on Megan wants a yeah, millionaire. Yeah, I think they, like, asked his roommate from college, and he said, oh, yeah, he seems rich, and yeah, he's yeah, a great he, guy. He bought me a gift once. All right. It turns out before Jasmine's death... She was in Vegas with Ryan Jenkins. They were hanging at a hotel pool. He saw her talking to someone else. They got in a fight, and he shoved her into the pool, and he was charged with assault. The case was still pending when Jasmine's body showed up. June 2009, this is two months before the murder. Ryan is back in L.A., and he calls Megan and asks her out to dinner. He looks thin and pale and shaky and paranoid, and he says Jasmine is ruining his life but he's he's and he's obsessed with trying to keep her because she clearly wants to leave. She realizes she's with a con artist who isn't. You're playing pig nose on your microphone. <laughs> Every now and then we play a game here called Pig Nose where we put our nose against our microphone and make it look like a pig. I bashed into it and thought, oh, what the hell. Do a little pig nose, Eric Shockwin. You're also getting bored with how long my notes are. But anyway. No, that's not it. So um, – Megan's solution to Ryan's problem is that she's going to invite him to be on season three of a VH1 reality show called Isle of Money. And this just really, that was what really just completely wrecked me. It was like, yeah, because that'll fix everything. Uh, because it Let's was, do another reality show. She says it would separate him from a toxic relationship. Right. And I was like, okay. She was really, she was good hearted, but maybe not the brightest bulb on the marquee. So he films the show. In early July in 2009 in Mexico. And meanwhile, Jasmine is trying to get the marriage annulled. As hard as she can. And Ryan is trying to win the money so that he can keep her. That's basically what it's turned out. I actually need to become a millionaire to keep Jasmine as my right. the love of my life. All right. So back to the investigation after Jasmine's murder and the discovery of her body. Cell phone searches are uncovering that the two of them, Jasmine and Ryan, went to a poker tournament in San Diego, and the hotel's video system allows cops to piece together their final moments. On August 13th, 09, they arrived at 3.28 p.m. in Jasmine's Mercedes. When they unload the luggage from the car, they're carrying the same bag her body was found in. Just chilling. That night, they leave for the tournament, but she's texting a former boyfriend named Robert Hasman, who's a high-end realtor in Vegas, and she's telling him, send a plane for me. Because Jasmine don't play. I have to say she there was— done. There, But there was behavior in this special that was like, this was their behavior before the first drink and the first line of cocaine, and this was their behavior after the first drink yes. and the line of cocaine. That's how it felt to me. Yes. Um— in the course of the night, Ryan, she's still, nobody's sending a plane for her, apparently, so she's still with Ryan. They're, they go to a nightclub called the Ivy. Witnesses say they get into a terrible fight. The cops theorize that Ryan discovered the text messages that she was sending to Hasman in Vegas. Because he sent a text. Suck it. That's what his text said. That's what the last text from Jasmine's phone to Robert Hasman in Vegas says. Suck it. They go back to the tournament, 
They leave at 2.30 a.m. The last time she's seen by anyone, she is not upset or crying. And then nobody sees Ryan again until 4.30 a.m. He appears on the cameras at their hotel, and he is panicked and in a rush. Literally running down the hall because this is the brain trust in this particular episode. Like, And then the stupid really kicks in. The hotel room has a patio, which in turn accesses the parking lot. And so on the back pat, the cops go to the hotel where they were staying, and on the back patio, they find slivers of Jasmine's hair and blood. And what their theory is is that he physically assaulted her, violently assaulted her. Then he brought her stumbling into the room through the patio that connected to the parking lot. Witnesses in opposite rooms hear them arguing, so we know she made it back to the hotel alive enough to argue. Um, the cops think that he's trying to convince her not to call the police, and he can't, so he snaps and he strangles her to death, which fits with the cause of death in the autopsy. Right. Ugh, this part. They think he cut off her fingers and flushed them down the toilet and knocked out her teeth. Then he put her in the suitcase and took her out by way of the patio so that he didn't show up literally carrying her body on the hotel security cameras. I guess there were no cameras outside, nothing in the I parking don't lot. Know. Apparently not, or we weren't privy to them. The next time he appears on the hotel security cameras, he's carrying what appears to be his own clothes in his arms. Because he doesn't have a suitcase to put them in. Oh, God. So he drives from the hotel and up the freeway. He drives in the worst possible direction to dump a body. I mean, I don't want to give this psychopath advice, but he drives, I guess, up the five freeway, they said, which is the middle of a highly, highly developed major traffic corridor. It's not like... Was he headed to the desert? The wilderness or something? No. I, and I think this is obviously a, a spur-of-the-moment crime committed by someone who was deeply high. He was profoundly messed up on drugs. And again, not the brightest bulb. Not the brightest bulb. The cops track him to Vegas, where he went to a storage unit and got a wakeboard boat that he owned. He hitched it to his BMW and headed to Washington State. They notify the U.S. Border Patrol and the Royal Canadian Mounties. And the Coast Guard spots him, but they lose him. I think we skipped one important. Oh, what did we skip? On the drive up the corridor, the mm-hmm. highly populated corridor, he found a apartment complex with a dumpster. Oh, yeah. That's where he ditches her body. I thought that was implied. But on yeah. the five. On the five at an apartment complex. So, so, like, no way anybody would discover a body right. at an apartment complex. Like, the maximum potential for discovery, yes. Yes. And then... Yeah, the wakeboard boat was like, wow, that was that's not bad. His family was rich, so I guess there was some perks to it. But, yeah, he heads off for Washington State, and I really got the wrong impression. Anyway, tell this part of the story. So he gets in his boat, and the Coast Guard catches up with him, and then they lose him. And so he ends up uh, docking and walking into Canada. And I thought he had drowned. At this point in the story, I thought, oh, he's dead. Well, okay, that's no, going to be the yeah. finish. No, 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 he he made it. He swam to shore. He crashed the boat, but he swam to shore. He didn't crash the boat. I thought they lost. I thought that the boat was overcome by the... No, I think they just lost track of him. Oh, my God. That was one of those parts of the story where I was like, I would love to hear more about this, but you're running really quickly, and you're I can see from the counter at the bottom of the screen you're almost out of time. So the parts I really want to hear about the story, like the chase and the law enforcement yeah. procedure, yeah, none of that. Because um, I think they said he ties up the boat, and then he just walks across the border, and his sister picks him up in the woods. Because yeah. you can just walk across the border yeah, into at Canada. Places, yeah, yeah. So there's not that uh, people have a different attitude about that particular border. So she drives him to a town called Hope, 
which actually looks like a lovely rural, you know, wildernessy town in the mountains. Uh, he checks into a place called the Thunderbird Motel, and he hangs himself. August 23rd, 2009, he leaves a will saying Jasmine was the greater monster, and all he wanted to do was love someone. She was the key to his happiness, and there's no place for him in the world anymore. And the coda on the story is Megan's show was canceled and her reality TV career was over. So, that takes us through the facts of the case, but like, wow. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at facebook.com slash thedinnerpartyshow. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and I'd like to take a moment to congratulate my co-host and producing partner, Christopher Rice. He's got not one, but four new books coming out in 2022. But today, I'd like to tell you about one in particular, a standalone thriller called Decimate. It's the terrifying story of what happens to our kitchen here at the studio um, when I asked Christopher to make the tea. Yeah, no. When I said improvise the promo, I didn't say you could make shit up. I am not making this up. Look at that kitchen. Okay. Hi, party people. Decimate is actually a thriller about telekinesis and near-death experiences. The page-turning tale of a woman who becomes convinced her brother is being held hostage by a supernatural force following his death in a fiery plane crash. It has nothing to do with tea or our kitchen, and you can pre-order it on Amazon now. And while it is spine-tingling and terrifying, it is nothing compared to what I'm going to have to order off of Amazon to clean up that kitchen. Will you shut up about tea and our kitchen? Oh, I never shut up about tea. And now, Eric's opinion of the case. <laughs> Honestly, it was so straightforward. Yeah. That I, you know, like I don't really have, I, like you really, the, the part that you got there that you tagged right at the end of the, the last segment was really sort of my take on the case of like, they, uh, uh, Megan was so upset. Yes. Because, not because, what's her call, was not because, what was her name? Jasmine was had been mm-hmm. hideously murdered and yeah. mutilated and left in the dumpster. Not because Ryan had hanged himself in the motel room. I think that's a really long way to go to hang yourself in the motel room. I was like, really? That's what you're going to do now? I, I read all? ran out of drugs. That was what I thought. Ran out of drugs, started to come down, started to realize, similar to what we talked about with Phil Spector sobering up while the police or were interrogating him. his father told him that I'm yeah. not bailing you out of this one. And yeah. So he, whatever. Um, yeah. Um, but Megan was like, yeah, this is, and I, my show got, they canceled her show after yeah. three episodes and it killed her um, her TV career. She never really... Her reality TV her career. Reality. She was clear to specify. She bounced back. Yeah. From, she never bounced back from this particular thing. She had to go on and, I don't know, get another job. Um, but, yeah, it was so, like, 
the insincere response mm-hmm. to the hideousness of this crime and this tragedy was like, oh, yeah, my. I was a little, like, it didn't put me off of watching more of the Playboy Murders, but this one was so, like, okay. So that's yeah. how deeply we all felt this. Yeah. I mean, there were nobody was thrilled about her being dead, but people's concerns were elsewhere. Not interviewed, but seen sobbing in the courtroom, Jasmine's mother. Not interviewed. I don't know if she didn't want to be interviewed. I don't know why. I expect not. But Jasmine really, I think, was close with her mother. She was raised by a single mother, and the mother had really worked to try to support Jasmine, and I was clearly devastated. Yeah. You know, absolutely. So, yeah, the people that you would have had that reaction were not really included. And I don't know if it's because they didn't work for Playboy or what, or that she didn't approve of the Playboy thing. I don't know. But I think you're right. I think Jasmine was an ambitious, successful businesswoman who was making the most of her opportunities. Yeah. And I, that was probably the most impressive part of the telling to me was the way in which she was presented. Like, she was, you know, very much a Playboy bunny type. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't who she was. Yeah. Like, she was actually a really smart, ambitious, hardworking, driven kind of person. And she had very specific goals. And, you know, I'm going to say they were a little on the superficial side. Like, the reason she was pursuing the guy who she was pursuing when she was texting at the bar, which may have led to her demise, was because he was rich and successful. She Mm -hmm. was not interested in this loser. He was a loser, and she wanted out of the relationship. And... I think there's something kind of refreshingly candid about that. You know, like I I don't think it makes her the best or the worst person in the world. I just think it makes her a woman who is very clear about her needs and where she wanted to be. Well, there's also the idea of marrying someone under false pretenses. If someone tries to sell themselves as I will take care of you, I am affluent, I'm going to... You know, whatever, and then they can't. That's oh, that's well, the like, same thing as she lying literally about. Literally married him for yeah. those reasons. The same reason she was pursuing the new guy was yeah. the things that Ryan had promised and could not deliver. I felt like I knew these people. I mean, I know I didn't, but it's such an LA story. They were such LA types. The pictures of them were like, yeah, I've seen you at the gym. Like I just, it was like, yeah. wow, it was so. Um, the and the interesting thing about it, I think, as you pointed out, is Ryan was an incredibly good-looking guy. And that ultimately didn't matter the most. Like for Jasmine, who was being objectified professionally and willingly objectified based on her looks, Ryan's looks were not enough. She was looking for someone successful who was a provider. He was perfectly perfectly fine-looking guy. That was was absolutely not a part of the mix. That's what kept getting him parts on reality television, which was the other side of this that I just loved, that despite the fact that he was this collection of horrible... Documentable, mm-hmm. horrible things. He continued to be cast on those shows because he looked great on yeah. camera. Yeah, that's the thing that I missed the first time around. And as we were talking about it today, is like they twice he went on two reality yeah. shows. We never saw Megan once a millionaire. I think saw the light of day, but the second one, Isle of Love, was the one that got canceled because he was a murderer, and they couldn't have a you know. I guess they couldn't edit around him. Yeah, it no, they canceled Megan yeah. Wants a Millionaire in the middle of the season because he was a murderer. Like, I thought they aired Megan Wants a Millionaire. They started airing it, but they only got oh, they only aired three episodes. Wow. Okay. I think that's. that's what, I'm pretty that sure that's what they said. And then they canceled the show in mid season. It was that kind of he tried all of those things because they just couldn't get around that. Yeah. And because they had missed the fact that he was, you know, not a millionaire and, um, 
of all the red flag warnings around him being a, an abusive somebody who'd been charged and convicted of yeah. abuse. Yeah. Yeah. Everything was wrong with him, and all they could see was how he looked, and so they kept casting him on those shows. It's like so yeah, here's, here's personality the, disorder television. Here's my question. Here's my question. Just the one? The people in the hotel room on either side of them who heard that argument, like, I've been in that position. Okay, I've been in that situation. I'm hearing something through the wall that is really scary. And I can call and expose myself to a potential danger. But I, what you often find is if the police do come and the people inside the apartment didn't call, they will lie to them. Oh, yeah. You know, and then you're there next door to the person right. and the police leave. And so I guess I, I want to cut them some slack, but at the same time, if the murder happened in that hotel room, like that to me is the scariest thing. If you're hearing a screaming fight and then it goes suddenly and quickly silent, like not like voices are lowering and we're talking our way through it, but it's like, you know, suddenly it's just not happening anymore. I, I would interpret that as what actually probably did happen, which was that, he strangled her. Yeah. You know, and I don't want to blame those people. I don't know what the situation was, but I think. What time was it? Oh, my God. So, like, I guess it was it was in between 2.30 and 4.30. Yeah. But they but they said they heard it, so it woke them up. They heard it, it woke them up, and yeah. then they went back to sleep. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it was really, it was the sort of, like, at that point, the dog stopped barking. Okay. Yeah. You know, I can go back to sleep. Whatever it is. As right. long as it stopped. Yeah. I'm just now if I go. Right. And if it was a spur of the moment thing, I, that's not the right term. If it was, his, if he lost his mind, is really what I want to say. Well, he was a possessive, abusive uh, man. Right. Yeah, totally. And, uh, but, and calling the hotel security if he strangled her, that, that's a quick event. It's not like a security guard knocking on the door. All he's going to disrupt is the concealment of the body, which right. maybe, be, maybe brings things to justice quicker, but at the same time. Yeah, it was it was it was a brutal story. Yeah, no, nobody was responsible for that but Ryan. Yeah, you know, like it, it was really it was all on him. The neighbors they heard it, but it's a hotel. You don't know who it is. Mm -hmm. You don't know what's going on. Right. And then it goes quiet after a minute or two. So, all right, well, maybe yeah. they made it up. Maybe they started having sex. Maybe one of them left. What do I know? It's quiet and it's four o'clock in the morning. I'm going back to sleep. Um. There's a comment made early on in the special that sort of stuck with me, and it's the uh, AJ, I think his name is. He's the CEO of Playboy Golf, who was kind of overseeing Jasmine when she was working for mm -hmm. Playboy. And he says to her, when you're at our parties, we can protect you. But when you leave, we can't. And that was, I think, an admission of you're going to meet some really creepy, dangerous people in this line of work, just being a Playboy girl. You're going to be approached by... I mean, and that is... It's to a certain degree, it's the Dorothy Stratton story. It's not the Dorothy Stratton story entirely. She showed up here with a husband from she her. She brought the creepy guy. She brought the guy, creepy guy so with her. It's not really, but I, yeah. I get your point. Yeah. That, that, you know, there is a sense that, and it's sort of paternalistic and condescending, but I think it was a sense on the part of Hugh Hefner with Dorothy in particular that your picker is broken, that you can't see. When someone doesn't have your best interest at heart, but there would be people who argue Hugh Hefner didn't have Dorothy Stratton's best interest at heart. I mean, it gets back to that sort of, sort of like this is a business and she is a businesswoman and she's doing what she can to succeed. But at the same time, 
Like, should that be something Playboy maybe looks into? How long was it between the time that they met and the time that she married him? Ryan and Jasmine? Yeah. Two days. So that's on Jasmine. Yeah. I'm sorry, but, like, that's on Jasmine. Yeah. The picking is on Jasmine. Nobody could possibly have protected her from that choice. They couldn't have intervened because she wasn't asking anybody's opinion. Right. Yeah, about She didn't even that. give them the chance to have an opinion. She it was doesn't already mean, married in. It doesn't justify the murder. That's not what you're not. saying. You're of saying course it, not. that nobody could have, nobody in her life could have stopped her from marrying somebody in two days' time. They didn't, she surprised them all with the wedding. Right. Yeah. I just think that was one of those like, <gasps> yeah. like the person who, the person who I actually thought the most about was Megan. Like, yeah. what a bullet dodged. Because, you know, he would have just killed her. Like, right. This wasn't like it was just about, it, this had nothing to do with Jasmine. Yeah. Like, she was not the reason that she got, not only was she not the reason that she got murdered anyway, because nobody is, yeah. um, she was she was just standing in the spot of the murder victim. He was going to murder somebody. Right, yeah. Like, because there wasn't enough of a provocation to even sort of kind of understand the murder in this case. Sometimes, you know, like, I'm not saying murder is ever a good choice, but sometimes you go, well, mm, that's really, you know, pushed to their limit. This was a guy who had showed up, lied about everything, who he was, tricked her into marrying him in two days, and she was moving on, and he killed her for it. Like, she hadn't done anything except be lied to and cheated, and you know what I mean? Like, right, yeah. So, like, it it had nothing to do with her. He was killing her because she didn't, because he lied to her. Like, right. that's a terrible, that's not and, even a good motive. And her realization of that, her, her, because she did find out about the meeting with Megan, so, like, her realization that she was just this sort of pawn, you know, or placeholder. Yeah. And, had to feel that my question and i think this i would be curious if his con was more elaborate than the show had time to depict and if it was falling apart on multiple fronts which explains why he went so crazy because if he had built an entirely fake identity in vegas and la that he was using to try to rook women that then the reality show was just going to be kind of the public facing part of that or the media part of that that could have been falling apart because he was so crazy by the time we meet him like he's he just He's so snaps. He's he clearly the, using about drugs. About being a reality star, yeah. he was going to be a star. That was yeah. his, you know, whatever. And I think that's what he was. That's what everything was about. It's, it started to happen with this. Um, what do they call it? The whatever housewives. I don't think they're desperate, but they're just housewives. Real, the real, the housewives. real housewives. Yes. Right. There has started to be this alarming trend of the amount of um, effort that those people have to go to to maintain a lifestyle that is camera-worthy to be on that show. Mm. Like, there have been two. One woman went to prison the other day Mm -hmm. from Utah, I think, and there was the one who was married to the lawyer who's crashing and burning, and there's great questions about what part she played in the misappropriation right. of funds from his law firm. And, Tom Giardi, is yeah, that his I think name? that's right. Yeah. He's the Aaron Brockovich lawyer, isn't he? He's a terrible end to that story. He was, he, I think yeah. he's the Albert Finney character from Aaron oh, Brockovich. God, I hate yeah. to hear that, yeah. but, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah it's a, it is a catastrophe, um, yeah. and, it's, and it involves swindling, but it also was about somebody trying to keep up appearances to be qualified to be on that show and to continue that franchise, how much of that has been, I don't think that's been concluded and she may be seen as innocent, but I, I don't see how, like no. she was certainly, whether she was aware of it, profiting from his, um, malfeasance, mm-hmm. um, uh, in, with his clients and with his, his 
law firm. And so I think that it's calling the entire, I think the entire thing is, you know, kind of a dubious form of, uh, right. of entertainment. And it puts people in this kind of crazy position, but it also has a pretty low bar for entry, as mm-hmm. this guy proved by sort of waltzing in with every red flag in the world. But he looks like this, so welcome to Bachelor Island or wherever the hell mm-hmm. it was he went. Cash Island. Isle of Love. Yeah, whatever. Like yeah. all of those are, you know, they, it's just about how you look and are people willing to tune in for the sort of soft porn version of right. something to do in the evening and some dating show or whatever it is. And isn't that funny or isn't that mm-hmm. choice? And I... I think that's where all he was planning to be. He was about maintaining the appearance of being who he wanted to people to think that he was so that he could, and marrying a Playboy bunny was part of that. Yeah. So that he could continue this kind of ongoing um, career development in and around the reality. Because none of them were auditioning for, you know, Macbeth or no. King Lear or You anything. mean the Scottish play. Go the run Scottish around the play. office three times. Okay, and later. <laughs> yeah. As soon as we're done recording. Um, It'll count towards your steps. I'm not. I'm Scottish, so it doesn't count. It doesn't I know, work it doesn't, on me. It doesn't, whatever. Um, I don't even know if it's I'm Scottish. It's dumb, but theater people always would not. If you don't know what we're talking about, theater people think it's bad luck to say Macbeth in the theater, though. We're not in a theater now. We're in the no, theater of the mind. We're in a recording studio, so if, it, if we suddenly go... Black, yeah. you'll know what happened. Yeah, the, theater, yeah, yeah, yeah. the roof fell in on us. Yeah. Um, there's something, I don't know, there's something, and refreshing is not a word I would use with any aspect of this case, but I think Ryan's, if Ryan, if I were going to write the story, Ryan's discovery that coming to L.A. and being a good-looking hunk isn't enough. It's nothing. It doesn't mean anything. It's common as dirt here. It's common as dirt here. And another busload will arrive in five minutes. Yeah. Like, it is really, there is so nothing special about it here. The most beautiful people. It does make everywhere you go absolutely scenic. Mm-hmm. The mall, the grocery store, everywhere. Right. It's just filled with all these gorgeous people because all the best-looking people from all over the world come here to try and be a star. And... Almost like ninety nine point nine percent of them fail, and so they're yeah. everything else. They're your plumber, they're your grocery checkout person, they're your lawyer, yeah. they're your uh, real estate agent, they're mm-hmm. your trainer, they're your masseuse. They're everywhere, mm-hmm. so it's gorgeous. Yeah, absolutely. But it's meaningless. Yeah, totally. Ah, oh, this was a, this one. I don't know. This one scraped the skin a bit because it, it was, was so really, L.A. So, so L.A. Very, very much, and very. My favorite part of it, I think, was the presentation of um, Jasmine as being smart, ambitious, and successful. I really, I loved that. Yeah. She was nobody's victim. She made a terrible judgment call in marrying this guy in two days. But she was like, okay, ticking that box, married a millionaire, good, done. And he was lying, and it wasn't what she did. And Okay, so maybe that wasn't great judgment, but... That wasn't the way nobody who talked about her said she was this and, gullible. She was, you know, uh, she was the t- she was a pretty tough customer. And it doesn't. So, and and along those lines, it doesn't seem like this series is going to be about Playboy killed these women. It's about these are this is what happens in the world when Playboy Playboy's women encounter crime or encounter murder. And and Holly Madison seems determined to kind of tell the truth about her experience, but it's not necessarily the tone of the wrong show, which I watched by mistake, which is that there was some real moral rot at the center of this idyllically That is really an interesting presented. aspect of that story. I was yeah. intrigued by that because yeah. it talked about, that first episode talks about, we're talking about another show called 
the mysteries of Playboy. I think it's secrets called. of Playboy. Secrets of Playboy. I think so yeah, yeah. Um, it was talking about this kind of idyllic sense of what the, the the Playboy world was originally built on. It was very male and it was very driven by stereotypes of that moment, but it was very much about, you know, being loved and loving and and not being inhibited by a lot of uh, no longer useful moral codes that um, that had encumbered people for and a really long time. That's all fine. And I think what I got out of watching that special was was that the lesson has been Hugh Hefner, there were so many clips of him saying this is an adult fantasy land. And it's like, this is not an adult fantasy land. This is a male adult fantasy land. This is not including really what women want. This is not this is about your vision of the women that you want. There may be some, I know, you, there may I, be some women who want to be that. I don't explain my point for I, me. Yeah, I, just, I just, I think that that leaves out that part of it because it's a time period thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it is, I think, one of the most misrepresented groups um, in arts and television, right, it, it, for my experience, um, is women during this time period. It during the not, 70s? Or during the, the 60s yeah. and 70s, because he started out, Marilyn Monroe was on the cover of his first. Right. But so this 50s, goes, this yeah. goes way back. Um, right. And women, the goals of women have really changed because women have become aware that they can. Mm-hmm. But in that time period, they were not, it was not common knowledge. Right. It was not generally like believed that you could succeed, that women could succeed in the ways that women do now. Right. And Gloria Steinem was a long time coming um, mm-hmm. and, you know, worked as a Playboy bunny. Um, oh, yeah. How did I not know that? <laughs> yeah. Well, wow. t- okay. different story. Different story. And it'll probably come up in the, yeah. if you continue watching that. But, um, yeah, I think she wrote a book called The Bunny's Tale. I think oh, that's right. Okay. Um yeah. I, I don't know if she did I think she did it intentionally, but still. Yeah. Um but women many women were living out what they thought was their fantasy, was mm. their, you know, their freedom. I don't want I want to be I want to succeed. I want to find a successful man who can, you know And I want to be a sex it. object. And I want to be yeah. a sex object, but I want to be a successful sex object. If mm-hmm. that's if that's my option, right. then I want to be the best version of that and the most successful version but of that. But the other thing though if you tell people that's the only arena where they're allowed to compete, then they will compete for that. Yeah, and but I also think that like there were no shirtless men at the Playboy Mansion. You know what well, I mean? Like it, that's not true either. Is it? But I didn't see them in any well, of the clips. Well, they weren't required to be. Well, right. They weren't. There were not. Were there gorgeous young men walking around with cocktail trays? I didn't see them in any of the clips. No, they were guests. Yeah, they were. There but, were plenty of attractive young yeah. men with their shirts off in the swimming pool being guests. It was. It was yeah. not an. It was like there were also plenty of old doughy guys there. Probably the majority. That's most but of what I saw. Scott Bale was there, and Scott Kahn was there, and you yeah. know all okay. of the okay. every young yeah. hot gun star in in Hollywood was there. Yeah. yeah. They were but, all there. But I didn't I didn't see Hugh Hefner present I, I saw him presenting a very specific fantasy to a specific group of people. I know I know that maybe it's a little bit more expansive than I initially said, but I just think that like it's it was gonna take another however many years until we got to Fifty Shades of Grey, until we got to women actually saying, actually, this is what I want right. out of you. This is the object I want you to be. Because, you know what we, I mean? because we had to get to a place in history where women felt like they were allowed to tell us. Yeah. Like, I think it's really hard as a man to get 
that because I would just have told people. Like I right. just, yeah. I always have that reaction. Well, I would just have told you. And that's what happens with things like The Help or shows where we're depicting women from that time period. The only show that really did a good, accurate job of it that I've ever seen was Mad Men, mm. where women were just, you know, like women were in my childhood treated like sort of larger children. Mm. They were mm. not, they had, did not have agency. They didn't, they were not interested. It was about how they looked and how they comported themselves and they didn't detract mm -hmm. from, you know, their husband or the man or right. the circumstance. And there was a very, there was a very limited kind of level that women could participate in. At the time I was a child and I just thought that's the way the world worked. Mm -hmm. When you're a child, you have certain expectations of you. So why wouldn't women? And, right. you know, I think it's taken us a really long time and some really brave people like Bella Abzug and Gloria Steinem and mm -hmm. Shirley Chisholm and everybody else in the world who stepped up to the plate and said, no, women are entitled to more than this. Right. Women are inspected. But that's really... But you think that had to happen first before we got to the other That's thing. a really yeah. more recent development. Like, first we had to let go of that thing we were talking about. I think it was... Last month, we were talking about the ice storm mm -hmm. world, that that moment in history where where we realized, oh, these none of these old moral ideas are working for us. That was mm -hmm. 1969, 1970, right along in there. We were at least jettisoning those things. And within, you know, another 10 or 20 years, women were starting to be regarded as something more significant, like... If just looking back to like the Reagan era or mm -hmm. that, the way women were treated even then is like take your breath away. And it was kind of reflexive. It was like, right. oh, well, of course, well, they're women. That's how women are treated or that's right. women's lot or that's what women can do. And we less and less have that attitude. And so we depict women less and less that way. And we forget how far um women have really come to getting to a place yeah. where they can say this is what, where they can even believe that they're allowed to say, this is what I want. Well, it's interesting because I think that being the age that I am, the generation I grew up in saw women's prison as the plastic surgery. And there is a scene in the other Playboy show of the horror of the young woman overhearing the men talk about, well, she needs to have this done and she needs to have this done. It sounds like in that moment, that conversation for the participants was about if she wants to be liberated in this way, it would enhance her experience to have these tits. I'm sorry to be that blunt about it. They didn't see themselves as confining women, even if it did ultimately become a this form of confinement. This is your ticket out. This is your ticket out of being uh, an accessory of your husband. And I'm not saying that's a great thing. I, I think women should be freed of that bullshit, right, too. Totally. I think they should be able to wash their faces and wear pants and get a crew cut if they want to and still be seen as sexy and fabulous and beautiful and not need to have perfect dimensions or whatever right. it is. Um, but I think that's also something that we're working towards. And I think there was, as you say, a necessary mm -hmm. point of getting freed enough to even do that. Yeah, Totally. All right. Well, I feel like we went what over Christopher time. and Eric think about women. What we think about, well, it's about sex, right? It's about media and sex and sexuality. And I think, you know, like, I think it is, you're right, neither one of us are women. And I hate to express it, but I have been more and more in my life, I am astonished with what women put up with yeah. in terms of along the way. And it reveals more and more. And the Me Too movement has been eye-opening for me mm -hmm. as it is, as I've started to go, Oh wow! I really never thought about it that way. It's that ingrained into our own culture that 
I mean, God, why would I have any reason to want to oppress women at all? And yet it has been enculturated into me to sort of skip past things or only to see things from the place of being a man in our culture. Right. Um, and it, it has been, I, it continues to amaze me. We, we had a coworker. I'll, I'll end with this. We had a coworker, um, when we were, uh, when we were in the room working on the, the vampire chronicles a while back, tell me that women's jeans are actually sewn shut. They, the pockets don't actually work. They're just mm-hmm. ornamental. I, I just, I can't even believe that. That's, yeah. I just, I don't even have a place for that. Like, mm-hmm. Why on earth would you buy them? Why on earth would you wear jeans that the pockets don't work? I just, what would be the point of that? I don't, I, know. I don't even know. I guess it has something to do with the line, but I don't care. Like, I just think it is the continuing, like, what women are willing to put up with in order to, mm-hmm. I don't know, get what get a chance to have yeah, something that totally. they want. I, I don't know. It's, it's still, a, it's a learning experience. It is. it is. It is. It and is. It so is. I hope I'm not coming off as telling people how to feel about it. No, but I think you're making some valid points about the different phases of confinement. You know, like that's the thing that I, you know, I got out of the conversation is like looking back. It's pre- I was, I was sort of practicing a form of presentism, right? Where you judge the past by the standards of the present. And there is, there was, that was a form of the Playboy Bunny was a form of liberation relevant to its time and its I moment. Mean, the flapper with yeah. wearing short skirts and cutting her hair off, huge liberation, but not very liberated when yeah. you really get down to it. But it was a huge leap forward. So, yeah, I think that being able to see that progress for what it was in, in context is probably better. It doesn't mean it's enough or it was okay. No, and I think the larger form, it's like people saying gay liberation was having as sex with as many people as you wanted. And there were some people who couldn't compete on that stage. They didn't have the right body. They didn't, didn't have the right mustache. To. or They didn't want to. And it's like that can't be preached as the universal form of liberation. There's got to be something more that holds people together cohesively no. and socially more than that. I don't even think what, see what that has to do with being yeah, gay. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think that has to do with your sexual compulsion. Yeah. All right. March is our birthday month. We are both taking finishing another months. turnaround the sun. Months, plural, birthday month. Well, birthdays, plural, birthdays month. So get us a nice present. And we still don't know what we're doing. <laughs> so we're just going to put that out there that it's our birthdays are coming up. Mine's the 11th. Eric is the 16th. And, uh, yeah. So. so check in with the site. We'll keep you posted on what's coming up. But, um, but yeah, the birthday month begins. So this has been the end. This is the end of... Toxic Love Month. Toxic Love is, Month. We think Ryan and Jasmine definitely oh set the benchmark God. for Toxic Love. And uh, we're headed now into birthday month. Absolutely. So until then and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Thanks. This is TDPS.